0: I left off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here uh, this morning. Again, we're switching things up a little bit. And uh, every, every time I do this, I always get ribbed a little bit because it makes it confusing. But hopefully it'll be uh, meaningful and, and you'll understand why as, as we kind of lead into uh, the Lord's Supper. We are so blessed to have people like Ron and people like Norman uh, leading worship and always get something from that. And so uh, thank thank y'all and thank you to the others who, who lead worship for us. i going to do something a little bit different today. We're, we're still in 1 Corinthians. We're talking about messy church and doing that. And and we're going to touch on a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, talk about the table, talk about the Lord's Supper. But behind this is really something just important to understanding our faith. And so I hope it's meaningful to you. And kind of talk a little bit about culture as well, because we live in this age of distraction. And we constantly sort of need a device or a screen to just occupy our attention. Uh, Neil Postman lamented uh, this distraction in his famous book from 1985 entitled Using Ourselves to Death. And one of the results of all this is that we get bored easily we get bored with our tvs because they're, they're not big enough and so we go out and we buy another we get bored with our phones and our devices because they become too slow and so we go out and we buy another we, we get bored with our cars and our trucks because they don't have the latest technology and so we go out and we buy another but that's not all you know, a new TV, a new phone, a new car, that's, that's not that big of a deal. But what happens when we get bored with more meaningful things? People get bored with their jobs, so they choose another. People get bored with their spouses, so they get divorced. People even get bored with their faith, and they abandon it for other pursuits. And that's a travesty. There are aspects of our faith that are countercultural. There are things that, that we profess and do that demand our contemplation. And so we must resist distraction. We must refuse to abandon what does not feed our desire for instant gratification. Eugene Peterson has described faith as a long obedience in the same direction. And so it is commitment to deep truce. It is allegiance to something that is bigger than ourselves. It is a relationship with the divine. And so we give ourselves to God and the things of God and, and we stick with them. And we do this through life's ups and downs. We, we do it when we are rejoicing and when we are weeping. We do it because we know that it is for our benefit. And if we stick with it, if we don't give up or get distracted and just walk away, we will be blessed. And all of this is important for us to understand. We need to know that we live in a distracting culture that is trying to amuse us to death. We also need to know that there is blessing in sticking with something and especially the things of God. There will be times in our life when faith is hard. Times when it does not come naturally. There will be times when coming to worship, something that simple, is a challenge. There will be times when other temptations are are pressing in on us and we, we want to look the other way. Our culture tells us to look away, but our faith says that there is blessing in staying focused and contemplating on the things of God. There is value in focus and contemplation and allegiance that plays itself out in multiple different ways when it comes to our faith. And so I want to talk about one way in particular this morning, and it is this. There is a depth to our faith that will bless us if we choose to continue to meditate upon it and to practice it. Okay? And so just think about it this way. There there are truths that we hear in Christianity over and over again. And so we return to passages uh, of Scripture numerous times in our lives. We hear sermons on subjects that we've heard before. You know, Isn't there a temptation to get bored by all that? And it's not just the truths and beliefs uh, where we find monotony. We find it in practices as well. Uh, we gather weekly to worship, what we're doing here this morning. We practice daily disciplines like prayer, maybe reading Scripture. We meet together every week around a table to partake of the same meal, the Lord's Supper. And all of these things, they are repetitive actions. We do them again and again and again. And so isn't there a temptation to become distracted by other things that we don't do all the time? Well, again, it's important to understand the culture in which we live and the temptations we face while also understanding what our faith demands of us. Here's what we need to know about our faith. We can approach our faith in a rationalistic and a scientific way. And if we do this, then there is only one meaning to every text and only one reason for every practice. And if this is the approach that we take, our practices will feel monotonous and we will get bored with our beliefs. We will tune out the lesson because we've heard it all before. We will mindlessly go through the motions of our practices because they are nothing more than legalistic commands. That is one way to approach our beliefs and practices. And and people have fallen into that trap over the years. And I would suggest that there is no life in that approach. However, there's another way to approach what we profess and do, and it is that there are, that, uh, that these uh, are deep truths and deep practices. And so we cannot mine all that they have to teach us in, in one setting or at one time. And so what we do is we keep coming back to them again and again, because we see things that we did not see before and and we learn things that we did not know before. We keep doing these practices because they mean something different to us now than when we first did them, whether it be 10, 20, 30 years ago. And so our faith is a holy mystery. The Word of God that we study is living and active. And it continues to work in our lives, and it never becomes superficial or complacent. There is a depth to Christianity and to the things of God. And so I want us to keep all that in mind as we reflect on 1 Corinthians 11 this morning. Because this is a text about the Lord's Supper. As you can imagine, uh, with everything we've learned so far in 1 Corinthians, that this is a messy situation. The Corinthians had made a mess of the Lord's Supper. They were divided, and some of them were getting drunk. And here is the word of the Lord, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen 17 through 29. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is obvious from this text is that the Corinthians had a very shallow understanding of the Lord's Supper. There was no depth to how they perceived Communion. They just did whatever they wanted to do. They were going to eat whenever they wanted to eat, and they were going to drink as much as they wanted to drink. And because of their superficial understanding, Paul tells them that what they're doing is not even the Lord's Supper. It's something else. The main problem here was Division. Because, you see, the Lord's Supper is supposed to be something that unites the church. And the Corinthians were using it to divide the church. And when Paul instructs the Christians at Corinth to examine themselves, he doesn't have in mind personal sins. He's not asking Christians to consider their their moral actions throughout the week to see if they have lived well enough to partake of this meal. That's not it at all. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. And none of us deserve a place at the table, but we are invited anyways. Jesus invited Judas and served him. Moral perfection is not a requirement. And so when, when Paul says that we are to examine ourselves, what he has in mind is division. Division if we are causing division within the church, then we are unworthy of partaking of the meal. Because it's a unifying act. A person cannot be actively dividing the body of Christ and then participating in a meal that unites Christians. That is hypocrisy. That is partaking of the meal in an unworthy manner. And that's what Paul means by all that. What we do on Sunday is supposed to go with us out into the world. What we do on Sunday should guide everything that we do Monday through Saturday. What we do around this table should influence our relationships with everyone else. And so we are to go forth from this table as peacemakers, and as ambassadors of reconciliation. The problem at Corinth is they had it reversed. They were allowing their life and their experiences out in the world to pollute what they were doing at the table. We will either take church to the world or allow the world to corrupt the body of Christ. One of those. What are we doing? Are we taking church to the world? Or are we bringing the world into the church? We have to make our minds up to seek first the kingdom of God. And we must remember that that what we do here on the first day of the week is of greater importance than any news story that we're going to hear or any election that we're going to vote in or any position that we might hold What we do around this table should shape all of those things and not the other way around. And so, what I want to suggest this morning is that what we do at the table is something of depth, it's more than just a simple meal, it is communion with the divine. We come to the table of the Lord. It is a table that is shared with past and present saints. We dine with the Son of God. We do this in anticipation of His coming again. We do it in remembrance of who He is and all that He does and continues to do. We do it in remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus. We do it as a reminder of who we are called to be and the life that we are to live. Our lives are to be shaped by the cross, and we are to live sacrificially. The life of Jesus is our life. We were baptized into his death, buried with him, and raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism itself is a participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and so is this meal. I did not understand all of that the first time I took communion. I did not understand all of that the first 100 times I took communion. And I'm still trying to understand it. And so I need to be here every Sunday. And I need to sit, and I need to meditate on this deep, deep truth. I need to contemplate what all of this means. I need to participate in this holy mystery, and I need to do it again and again and again. And perhaps, as is often the case, um, C.S. Lewis sums it up best, He writes, I don't know and can't imagine what the disciples understood our Lord to mean when His body still unbroken and His blood unshed. He handed them the bread and wine saying they were His body and blood. I find substance when stripped of its own accidents and endowed with the accidents of some other substance an object I cannot think. On the other hand, I get no better with those who tell me that the elements are mere bread and mere wine, used symbolically to remind me of the death of Christ. They are, on the natural level, such a very odd symbol of that, and I cannot see why this particular reminder, a hundred other things, may psychologically remind me of Christ's death. Yet, I find no difficulty in believing that the veil between the worlds, nowhere else for me, so opaque to the intellect is nowhere else so thin and permeable to divine operation here a hand from the hidden country touches not only my soul but my body here the prig the don, the modern in me have no privilege over the savage or the child here is big medicine and strong magic. The command after all was take eat, not take understand. What we do at the table is not mundane. It is not monotonous. It is nothing to get bored with. It is a hand From the hidden country reaching out to touch all of our souls. The rational man cannot understand it, the scientific man cannot explain it. We come each week and we simply take and eat. We come to the table even though we are sinners, we come to the table even though our lives are messy. We come to the table to commune with Christ our Lord. We come to receive grace from Him. And so if you asked me to explain it all, I could not. But I keep coming, and I plan to do so for the rest of my life. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning. And we acknowledge your presence here. And we're so grateful for this invitation to your table. It's something that I would never want to miss. And I want to just sit here every first day of the week and meditate on what this means and meditate on what you have done And meditate on the many ways that you've blessed our lives and continue to do so. And so, may we never take this meal lightly. May we never think it mundane or ordinary. May we continue to embrace the mystery of this meal and be guided and directed by the love of Christ that we experience around this table. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Since we are uh, doing things a little differently this morning, I will not conclude with a blessing, but I'll offer this meditation um, on the crucifixion from Malcolm Geith as we uh, enter... Into this meal See as they strip the robe from off his back and spread his arms and nail them to the cross. The dark nails pierce him, and the sky turns black, and love is firmly fastened onto loss. But here a pure change happens on this tree. Loss becomes gain, death opens into birth. Here, wounding heals and fastening makes free. Earth breathes in heaven, heaven roots in earth. And here we see the length, the breadth, the height. Where love and hatred meet and love stays true. Where sin meets grace and darkness turns to light. We see what love can bear and be and do. And here our Savior calls us to his side. His love is free. His arms are open wide.